Tyler Buckingham here, and I am proud to introduce the best of Sea Change 2019. These are six memorable moments from this year's collection of shows that highlight coastal and ocean conservation and advocacy. I also want to take a quick moment to thank Jenna Valente, the host of the Sea Change podcast, for making 2019 such an amazing year. Uh, she blew through 20 shows. Uh, we, we touch on a couple of those here in this best of special. With that, I will get out of the way and hand it off to Jenna. Hope you all enjoy the show. Today, I am joined by the co-founder of Big Blue and You, co-creator of Sea Youth Rise Up, that's S-E-A for Sea Youth Rise Up. And she's a science communicator, an ocean advocate, and TV personality, which is just to name a few things from her ever-growing list of leadership roles. So Danny Washington, what are some of the biggest challenges that you face when communicating about science and climate to others? Mm, some of the biggest challenges, I think as of recently, it's been you know encountering folks who are still climate change deniers. Mm -hmm. That's always uh, baffling to me, but honestly, I've learned to meet people where they are. And a lot of times conservation folks tend to take this kind of righteous um, perspective and we can't do that. We have a lot of people out there that are just ignorant, that just don't know. They don't know what's going on. They don't understand it. So how can we figure out how to, to explain it a little better so that it makes sense? And so we can't sit here and judge and wonder why. We just got to figure out how to how to get right next to them and, and say, hey, why do you see it like this? Here's how I see it. This is the facts that are behind it. Boom, boom, boom. But then also living by example, I think is really important. So science communication, sure. Like my most recent job was hosting Exploration Nature Knows Best, which is a nationally syndicated television show on Fox Network, which is like a Saturday morning um, 30 minute science program. And I love that because I was literally interviewing scientists and communicating the science that they were, you know, uh, doing. So that was a very direct way to do it. But also science communication includes your lifestyle and how you uh, want to talk and how you incorporate science into your own life. So I do that through my different media, social media channels and um, different ways, just trying to get really creative to talk to people and again, meet them where they are. Yeah, and I I, uh, I think that the whole living by example thing I found interesting in terms of my own life and the people that, you know, my family and friends uh, that maybe are not so deeply entrenched in the world of conservation as I am, um, watching their progress over the years as I make progress has been super fascinating to see, you know, just a base level of understanding like what you can recycle or compost and, you know, now with plastics and straws. And, um, I, I think that is somewhere where I get the greatest joy is, um, seeing that behavior change through people that are interacting, um, with me, um, and, you know, seeing that living example of, of, uh, a way to make it easy to be a better steward of the planet. Um, so then I also um, want to touch, I know you mentioned social media um, and because, so for those of you that are listening uh, and may be new to meeting Danny, 
Um, she has grown a really impressive following on social media platforms. And I think that uh, the way that she uses social media as a tool to reach new audiences, um, because circling back um, around to more of the science communication side of our conversation, um, I think another thing that we do in the conservation community sometimes is just preaching to the choir. Um, we surround, we can surround ourselves with people that are like us and agree with our messages, um, um, but that's not really reaching out to new groups. So Danny has really utilized social media as this incredible tool um, to reach all different kinds of audiences and weave this message of sustainability and conservation um, into her posts. Um, and I think we could all learn a little bit from your experience. So do you have any words of advice or helpful tips um, for anybody that may be trying to grow awareness of their brand or um, push forward any sort of initiatives in terms of social media strategy? Lots and lots of tips. And I feel like we could definitely go for hours talking about this stuff. Yes. But, um, one sidebar note is that I am I'm working on a you know an online course to kind of just to lay some of this stuff out. So please, if you're listening and you're interested, stay tuned, stay connected with me via my website, dannywashington.com, and then more updates will come as the year progresses. But uh, as far as using social media, I, it's been a very organic process for me. I stepped into it thinking that I could, you know, again share these messages in a very um, sciencey way and a little bit obscure. I think what I have learned is people connect people. And that's why social media is so powerful because we trust recommendations from our peers, from, you know, individuals that we feel connected to. And so using that basic principle in all of the platforms that I utilize, I think has really helped me a lot. And so I just try to share a little bit about my lifestyle and like, that I'm really, I'm human. Like every day I have struggles. I have this that I don't like, this that I like. And, um, and then sh bringing people along with me on the journey. So because of my traveling, I've been able to go to some pretty cool locations and I do my best to share those experiences with people. So they, they feel like they're right alongside me. And that's the biggest feedback that I've received from some of my followers that they, they really do feel like that, that they're with me on the trip, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, but you know, again, Storytelling is, is the foundation of who we are as humans. We want to hear stories all the time. So if you're starting a new, a new channel, a YouTube channel or an Instagram account or Facebook page, always remember to stick with the story and tell it in a way that would make sense to your, like, I, I, my, the age that I aim for sometimes it would be like a middle school student, you know, to make it interesting and fun. Um, because we're all like, we, I, I believe we all have the kid in us, you know, the young person, the youthful spirit. And so when we're dealing with heavy topics, like so much of what we deal with in the conservation community, I think it's fun to just kind of flip the script a little bit and learn how to make it a little lighter, a little bit more digestible and mm -hmm. interesting. Um, yeah. And I feel like you have really found this way to just, you know, you, you're human and, you're not trying to promote some sort of totally false lifestyle. You, you do bring your followers along on a journey, um, whether it's on your travels or whether there's, you know, some sort of headline, which these days it feels like there's always some sort of headline or, um, something crazy happening. Um, 
you know, and you're just, you're real. Um, and I think people connect with that. And I think that there's a lot to be said for being open and honest and vulnerable with your following. You inspire just so many people, including myself. Um, and we'd love to know who and what inspires you. Hmm. Well, um, a lot of people inspire me. In fact, I, I love following uh, specifically women. A lot of powerhouse women are, are, you know, bubbling up at the scene now. But originally, Dr. Sylvia Earle was one of my first inspirations uh, when I was in high school, and she still is. And she awarded me a really special honor last year at EarthX in Dallas, Texas, uh, for the 2018 Emerging Female Leader of the Year. And that was just the, one of the craziest moments ever for me because I, you know, I just watched her career and seen how amazing she is. Receiving that from her was really something special. And so she's always going to be my, like, one of my number one inspirations. But I'm also inspired by people like Beyonce, Yara Shahidi. <laughs> yes, the queen. Uh, it's like Sylvia Earle is like the queen, like her deepness, her deepness, queen of the ocean. And then you have Beyonce, who's just like queen of all women. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah, there, there are really too many to, to list out, but those would probably be my top, top, uh, inspirations, but I'm also inspired by people like, um, Luisa Hoyos, who's the director of the Cove and a recent, his most recent film that he directed, it's called game changers about, you know, transitioning into a whole food plant-based diet. And this idea that he is such a, a master storyteller, like he's won an Academy Award and like he's one of my friends and one of my mentors. And I just, I'm so inspired by people like him because again, he's living out what he, what he talks about. He's, he's showing it, he's doing it and putting and giving it all he's got. Yeah. And you know, I, I think, um, you know, just for listeners out there too, it's all about just finding those people that inspire you and, um, are walking the walk. Um, and you know, this whole conversation, I feel like a theme we've revisited is, um, living and being, you know, being an example, um, and having your actions reflect your values and your motivations and what you care about. Um, so, you know, if you're looking for people to be inspired by and, um, see as leadership, just, you know, they're all around you, whether they're famous or not, um, just wonderful people that are out there doing great things for the world. So surrounding yourself with them and following along with those people can be a great source of in inspiration. Um, and also congratulations to you on that award. And I feel like it's really well deserved. Um, you know, you are out there, um, inspiring so many people each and every day with the work that you're doing. Um, so definitely hats off to you or fins off to you to make some stupid ocean joke because I feel like that's what I do. Um, so as I mentioned before, we have a lot of young professionals that listen to the show and I think it would be helpful to hear what advice that you have and that you would give to yourself 10 years ago? Ooh, man, a lot, a lot of advice. But I think the main thing would be, hmm, it would just be to, to just to relax in a way, you know, cause I'm definitely, a, I can definitely a workaholic 
I try my best, but as I get older, I'm learning how to balance that more, right? So that I don't crash and burn and that I don't wear myself out. Um, but as a young 20 something, you like fired up and it's just like, go, 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 go. But at the same time, gotta, you gotta prioritize self-care. You gotta prioritize your life and making sure that you have the right balance of people and, and, you know, relationships and all those things that are important to our experience. Just make sure you have that and, and don't get so down in the dumps and overwhelmed by what's happening in the world around you, but learning how you can best serve the world through your gifts and talents. Today's show is a bit of a milestone because it is my 10th episode produced on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. And one of my favorite things about serving in this role is learning about the countless ways that my guests are working to care for the planet and raise awareness about how climate change is impacting ecosystems, human health, and communities. And I am thrilled for you all to get to know my guest today for many reasons, but a major one being that his work pairs a couple of my favorite things, which are art and conservation. So Daniel is an environmental artist based in New York City, where he works predominantly with plastics and other forms of debris to bring significance to things that are seemingly insignificant and raise awareness of the plastic crisis that we are experiencing around the globe. Daniel Lanzalotta, thank you for being here today. It's a pleasure to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Jenna. Uh, thank you, Tyler, so much for having me. People see the headlines that are like plastics everywhere. They see the bag bands, the straw bands, and they, you know, they're like, how did we get here? And that's, that's a welcome opportunity though, to, to educate them. That's how I see that, you know, is let's bring this person into the fold and meet them where their education level is and try to build from there. We got here because of uh, a couple of things. Convenience is one of them. Uh, we got mm -hmm. here because the food chain is broken. We got here because people be have become very complacent. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed by Costco's size of their shopping carts and the size, of, <laughs> the size of chairs, folding chairs and tables. I mean, those are directly proportional to the plastic problem. Plastic and food, they go hand in hand. What's leaching, what's not leaching, how fats hold on to uh, uh, plastic molecules, how we see this now in, in plankton up the food chain. We're eating it. We know that now. That's a fact. Uh, but we've been eating it a long time. They just really realize now that it's for real. Um, and so it's, 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 it's epidemic. It's to, for me, the debris problem is a human rights crisis. And it's, it's out of control. Uh, and it, it fringes on my well-being. And it fringes on my well-being. That means that I can't function as well as I, I, I would like. And if I'm and I'm in pretty good shape, if I if it's if it's, you know, an issue for me, and I look at somebody who may be medically obese and have conditions that are medical, but there are also people who are out of control. So they're they're 
their mindlessness about who they are as people and going, getting back to being mindful about yourself and how it affects the environment, you're impacting every single thing you do that's affecting the environment. Your purchases, the way you live, the, what, how you drive, uh, how many times you drive, if you're walking and not walking, using a bike, whatever. It's every single decision changes the direction of the world. I was told that directly by Deepak Chopra to my face. And and uh, I had a chance to speak with him once privately. And that's what he said to me. Every decision that is made changes the direction of the universe that we live in. And that's pretty profound. So when you're shopping and that thing you, you're going to buy has got five layers of packaging, put it back. The, the message that you send to manufacturers is, is the most important thing. If you don't, if there's no demand, they'll start changing their formulation. Absolutely. Consumer demand right. is going to, it shapes the direction that, that companies go in and the products that they offer. We have the technology, we have the science. Uh, it's, it's just a matter of really honing it down to a, to a, uh, to a, place where it's profitable. It's not there yet. And so you have hemp, you have this thing going on with avocado seeds in Mexico that I, I've come across. These are very exciting things happening out there. Um, but it's not to the point where the demand is. And then there's retooling. There's a That's a big issue for a lot of companies. How can these plastics may not work with the tooling that's out there. So that's a really gigantic cost to, to offset for a lot of manufacturers. And, and that may be looked down upon by these folks. Um, sharing economies, circular economies, loop economies, all these things that help. And so there's nothing that is too small to do. It's just a matter of expanding upon it in a very, very big way. And I think it has to be more radical. It has to be... Uh, very quick. I mean, it, it's 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 frightening, uh, as you know, what you see and what I see. We just are seeing it in different places. It's 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 it looks like to me on garbage day, at least in Brooklyn, that something went crazy. Somebody went crazy, and the amount of trash in the in the clear bags alone, the plastic, the ones that go into uh, the plastic that goes into the clear bags, and what I see. Yeah, it's almost like so when I when I see trash day here in Boston or you know, I'll walk down the street and and inevitably the cans are gonna get knocked over and there's just piles of trash in certain locations. And it's like a little piece of my soul dies because you know, everybody just continues along walking by it, walking around it, and um it's just sort of blends into the background of everyday life when um, it's that's a major concern if even one bin dumps over and then it all washes out into the harbor. Um, and I also think what your point that you were just making gets back to the whole, um, you know, they have a name for it. So the nature deficit disorder um, where folks are not getting outdoors as much as um, we should um, for health reasons. I think it just really gets back to our primal form of who we are as human beings and our um our natural desire to, to be outside and experience nature. And a lot of people do not get that anymore. And I am wondering if, um, what have you noticed about the communities in and around New York city? Are they aware of the plastic pollution problem? And 
are are there major efforts to reduce it, like bag bans and straw bans? And yeah, there's, uh, there's styrofoam ban in New York City. The bag bans. Uh, Westport, Connecticut, is a leader in that. Liz Milwe and um, Gene Seidman uh, got rid of the plastic bag in Westport. That's sort of become the model for the state of Connecticut. So there's a, a Sustain. There's a there's a website called Sustain in out of Connecticut that's run by Annalise Paik. She is a she's a a shaker, a mover and shaker of all things sustainable. Um, the, this is a gigantic movement, but it has to come a little bit. It has, it has to be a hard sell to children, at least, so that they know that there's a future. Um, when I ask people to see, I say to people when I'm wearing my artwork, and I get stopped quite often, what are you looking at? And they, they look at it and they say, oh, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. What is it? And then I start talking and I have a conversation. I use my art and I use beauty as a way of ha- having a conversation. I'm not around, I don't go around beating people up because they use plastic or consuming plastic. So then I have an opportunity to have this conversation. And I ask them, what is it you're looking at? And I go, what you're looking at is our dead dinosaurs. And they look at me. I said, it's plastic. It's based on crude oil. And it's over in the Middle East. And we have sent some kid from some inner city who can't get out of a situation, more likely a brown or a black child, to go get this stuff for us. So they can fill the dollar stores in their neighborhoods. So a black single mom can go buy a colander to pass some pasta. And that colander will last a very short time and it'll be in the garbage. And they'll go to the dollar store again and they'll buy another one. And the cycle, it's a very small slice of a microcosm of what's happening, of a vicious cycle about crude oil. So this person goes to buy a piece of junk in a dollar store made of plastic so their child can go to a foreign country to take crude oil out of the land to ship it to either China or America to be processed into more junk. And this is this to me is insanity. This is insanity. And so uh, when I talk to that, when I speak to that, people think I'm the nutcase. <laughs> and, and it's really kind of interesting to see their reaction. Because when you expand upon it and you look at the orange store Home, the home store that's orange, and you, you see the other store that's blue, and you go in and out of these stores, and you see the massive amounts of stuff. Like, why are they even selling laundry detergent in the big orange store? There's a whole, there's a whole aisle of it now. And all the other toxicants. So I, I like to tell people, like, you know, the most democratic thing on the planet, the most democratic, doesn't care who you are, doesn't care. It's 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 poisons. The poisons that are are, are that are converging on us, that are coming uh, by by bioaccumulation. These all these things that are happening. You know, I I became a state of Connecticut energy auditor to just see what the heck was going on. Uh, and I worked and I I worked. I did like twenty audits, and I thought the whole thing was insane. And I did it just to see what was going on in the in the background, uh, and I thought, "Wow, this is really quite it's it's really it's out of control." People don't know we're not living natural lives. Uh, of the food chain, I just did an art show in Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, at an art space building here, and it was called Intersectional Five D, and intersectionalism came out of feminism. 
And it's about all these things that are coming at a person, uh, racism or sexism or whatever it is. And some people get a lot of different things because of who they are as people. When it came to me and asking me what, uh, how I saw intersectionalism, I, I talked about water. I spoke to soil. I spoke to air. I spoke to food chains. And I spoke to food webs. And they're all messed up. They're all interlinked. They're all dependent upon each other. I am part of this story. I am part of this story. I am not outside the story. And I feel like human beings don't understand their own existence. I did not exist once. I'm here for a short time. And like, I want people to understand that this temporariness called Daniel Lanzalotta or Jenna Valente, we are just short periods of time. Our bodies are short periods of time. And in a short period of time for some people, they have caused a lot of damage. So much damage. And in like the saddest way, it is like the ultimate poetic justice what's happening with the plastics working their way up the food chain. You know, we've created this problem and now it's coming right back to create problems for us. Welcome, everybody, to an extra special Earth X edition episode of the Sea Change podcast, your go to podcast for learning all about your the most inspiring ocean advocates along the U.S. coastlines and in inland states. Um, I am here with my co host today, Brian Urisitz, uh, with the Terramar Project. Thank you for joining me, Brian. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jenna. It's always a pleasure to be on Sea Change. And we are so excited to be sitting here with two unbelievably inspirational people. Um, we have Cambria and Freya, who are with the heirs to our oceans. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So how's EarthX going for you so far? I think it's good. We haven't walked around and seen many of the booths yet. We've just been... Um, we did a presentation this morning about how to kind of get youth involved in ocean conservation. Um, and we actually have... Some of our other areas are presenting right now, so we haven't actually had a chance to look at all the booths. But Shout out to them. Cool. What yeah. are they presenting on? Um, they're presenting about how we need to modify our education system and make sure that youth have a chance to be learning outside in our natural environment and develop um, critical thinking and problem-solving skills. So something that I noticed just as an initial reaction here is that there are a lot of young people walking around EarthX today. Is this exciting for you to be amongst so many people that are your age and that are this interested and involved and engaged with ocean conservation work? Um, and what an amazing opportunity to potentially inspire people to start their own heirs to their ocean chapters and get involved. Yeah, it's so great to see um, all the youth here. Um, I think sometimes that's missing from Earth conferences, and it's so great because we're the ones that are going to be inheriting this world. So I think it's really important that we're um, learning in this way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so can you tell the listeners a little bit more about who, who are the heirs to the ocean and what is the mission of the organization? 
Uh, sure, we're a global movement of youth that are around the world, so really working hard to make change for our water planet for future generations. Because, like I said, we're the ones that are going to be inheriting it, and we need to be learning about it and making change. So we have chapters around the world that are working hard. Um, from the chapter in Kentucky because we recognize that to protect our oceans, we really need to be protecting our water. Great. Okay. And I actually have a question for you guys. So one thing that you mentioned was that you're trying to get uh, students around the world and young people more engaged in ocean conservation actions. And so I wanted to ask you guys, what what threat to our oceans, so plastic pollution, climate change, or like overfishing, do you think has the you know students and young people have the greatest opportunity to step up and take action in that's a hard question uh, yeah, it might be a little bit tough uh, i don't I, you know you can we ask the tough questions here yeah, yeah. i'm curious though if, if if one of those sticks out to you as like something that pe- you know anyone from anywhere around the world can really you know step up and take action in um i think the two biggest things that we're facing right now, I would probably say is climate change and plastic pollution. I think those are big ones right now. Um, And we've seen like with Greta Thunberg and all the movement she's been having up, that's definitely something that the youth are passionate about and wanting to speak out. Did did she inspire you guys? Yeah, definitely. I think it's so great to see um, all the action. And I went to one of the marches in San Francisco and got to see all those kids there and it was super motivating to see how it was like youth organized and all the passion was there and I felt like we were really making change together. You guys really are speaking as someone that has benefited personally from some of the work that you've done. I mean we are truly all in this together. Um, You guys participated in the Blue Vision Summit last year, correct? And you helped develop some of the materials that we all used during our Hill visits. And those visits wouldn't have been nearly as successful without the help that you guys gave to us. So thank you for that. Um, So I know that we're all new here and this is day one, um, but what are some of the most interesting things that you have seen have you have you met anybody interesting have you learned anything that shocked you so far seen any um any interesting things at the booths other than brian in his shark costume (laughs) (laughs) um i'm not sure like i said we haven't really had a chance to go around yet so we'll we'll stay tuned on that yeah but i think it is really cool like you said to see how many youth are getting involved and interested in looking at the different things Yeah, so I'm curious to hear from each of you. Um, You know, you have this moment on this podcast to share whatever you want with the listeners. So what would you like the listeners to take away from this conversation and know about you and your organization? Um, Let's see. (laughs) I think there's a lot of important things, and I think what empowers me to do all this work is really seeing other youth mobilized and inspired and I think that's a really important thing for youth to have these opportunities um one thing that we're focusing on right now is our SEAL camp our summit for empowerment action and leadership which is um the last two years we did it in Palau which is a small island in Micronesia across the Pacific Ocean And this year we're going to be hosting it for the first time in California near where I live. And I think that's really what empowers me to see those youth. They're coming from around the world and we're all coming together and able to connect over the same need to protect our water. 
and I think that's really what empowers me to keep doing all the things I do. I am so excited to share this conversation with you all because today I am joined by quite the inspirational human. Alex Palumbo is this masterful storyteller who is working to not only spread awareness about environmental challenges, but aims to do so in a way that provides an avenue for everyone, including you and me, to take action by pairing these issues with achievable solutions and behavior changes. Alex, welcome to the show. Jenna, thank you for that incredible intro. I'm happy to be here. A lot of the times when I'm creating, I'm, I'm doing it mostly for myself because I have this thing inside of me that needs to continually be creating, whether it's through the photography or the writing or podcasting. Um, but so you don't even need to share it with anyone if that's the thing, if you're afraid to, to put yourself out and be vulnerable in that way. Although I will plug putting your work out there because even though it might be the scariest thing in the entire world, there are going to be people that connect to it and understand and relate to you and maybe need to see it. Um, and it's kind of this fun, like little adrenaline rush when you start sharing your work. Um, but I, I think that this plays into a really important theme, which is self-doubt, because sometimes when I am creating something, I am sitting there and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Is this going to have the impact that I'm intending it to have? Sometimes I don't even know what I'm creating while I'm creating it. You know what I mean? And, and do, you, do you ever have those moments of self-doubt? And if you do, how do you work through them? All right. So I mean, even like any video I ever edit, I, I think this sucks. Like every time I do it, I'm like, I hate it. I just think it sucks. And that's just part of, I think of, of being a creative that you're never going to be satisfied with what you're doing. And it's, it's very easy to sit there and to re-edit a video a thousand times and still think it's not good. It's not good. The music isn't right. At a certain point, you have to just put it out there. And then, then the next one, you, you learn, you, you piggyback off that and learn from it. So yeah, I mean, all the time I think that, you know, this, this stuff isn't good or it's not good enough or I want it. It's not the right, not the exactly right shot I wanted or the wrong angle or some, and, I mean, and the things you can't make everything perfect. And as your work goes on, as you, as you keep working, you will get better and more comfortable. So I obviously spend, you know, spend time on, especially if the client's paying you for it, spend enough time on it. But if, if it's personal projects, you know, do what feels right. You know, the first couple of times you know, fit, put it out there, whether it's a drawing or painting or a video, whatever it is, or even like a song I see you're singing, you know, do it, put it out there and then do the next one. And then you'll see, look back a year later and you'll see how much growth you've had in that year. Yeah. It's all about, you know, lifelong learning and progress. And if you're making that progress, you know, you don't need to hold yourself to benchmarks with everybody else in the world. And I know that's so easy to do given the social media era that we live in right now. It's so easy to compare yourself to others and be exposed to, you know, some of the most extremely talented people in the world. But if you check in internally and, you know, look back on your work like a year ago, like you were saying, and start to see like, what have you learned from that? And, you know, how, what are the new ways that you're inspired? I, I definitely consider that a win. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of what inspires me. And so I, I look back at myself even from six months ago and I'm like, I'm, I'm disgusted by it, but I still think, all right, cool. If I, if I did this much better now, then how am I going to be in another six months from now? So that really, right. you don't. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't be where you are right now if you didn't, if you weren't that version of yourself six months to a year ago. Right, right. Yes. Um, so I'm sure the listeners are interested in knowing, and I am interested in this as well. 
What kinds of projects are you working on right now? Or do you have any that you're particularly excited about coming up? So right now I'm doing, I mean, some basic uh, commercial work for clients in the area. But what I'm most excited about is this short documentary I'm, I'm putting together for this summer. So I'm, I'm, I'm working with Brian, actually, at Terramar. I'm working with a few other um, professors at Stony Brook, where this is what I'm most excited about, to tell this story of kind of of Long Island, uh, you know, the Great South Bay, of our waters here. And I really want to highlight the success story that, that's been had in the Chesapeake Bay area. So part of my the, this positive messaging I want to bring is I want to show another coastal area that had very bad I, – I think the stat was the Chesapeake Bay area had their oyster population down to within less of 1% of what it was maybe 50 years before. So they were in historical low level. And they had a great rebound through a lot of, you know, a lot of conservation efforts and money that went into it, and good messaging that was spread about it. For whatever reason, Long Island hasn't gotten any type of press like that, or, or any really, you know, you have like Stony Brook and universities doing good work with it, but you know, they write the research papers, and then it's sad to say no one reads them, or they just kind of, you know, they get sent out, and a couple people in the Facebook group read them, and that's really it. And the general public isn't even aware; they're not, they're not, uh, you know, kind of it's not brought to their attention. So that's where I think I can come in where I can make this short, you know, documentary showing the beauty of the Island, showing what we have here, showing success story that happened in the Chesapeake Bay area, and then bring that all together and say, how can everyone around here do their small part? And we can have the same success that Chesapeake Bay had right here at home. I love that connection so much. I mean, some of the listeners might know I'm a big Chesapeake Bay nerd because before I uh, took the role that I'm in now with the American Literal Society, I worked down at Chesapeake Bay program. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the recovery efforts, not only with the oysters, but the entire Bay health as a whole is the direct result of communities in the six watershed states that surround it, this massive watershed and the District of Columbia all coming together to work really hard to improve the health of the Bay by making sometimes some really drastic changes. Um, so it's a really complex story. I think it's one that's worth telling. And I often, I'm sure you probably can relate to this too. And I know that we're talking about usually putting like a positive spin on things, but sometimes when I'm hanging out with my friends and family, I feel like I can be that downer friend because I'm I'm always like pointing out um facts that are maybe not so fun. So when I was living down in Annapolis, Maryland, people would come visit and, you know, everybody would be like, oh yeah, let's go get some oysters. And I would always be like the first person to be like, well, you know, most of these oysters are actually imported from Louisiana right now. So they're not these like famous Chesapeake Bay oysters that you're hearing about. Um, but, you know, there are some really amazing local aquaculture projects that are going on um, in the Bay. And there's this real push to bring back the um, Chesapeake Bay oyster and they're doing ph phenomenal work with it. It's really exciting. So I'm looking forward to um, seeing this film and, and following along with that story. Yeah. And there's, there's some companies here. There's like, the, I think it's called the billion oyster project in New York. They're going in, into repopulating the New York Harbor with oysters, but also, I mean, nothing against them, but they're, their their social media uh, isn't isn't great, so it doesn't stand out. So, like let's say the typical mid twenties person, they want to see something that looks good. They want to look at a, a cool photo or a cool video, and then get messaging out of it. As sad as that is, so if you know if if I could spread that same message, uh, kind of showing 
you know, what, what we can do and have it look good so people actually watch it. Because, look, it's 2019. No one wants to watch anything. No one wants to read anything that doesn't look good, and they have no attention span to begin with. So if someone's going to spend while they're scrolling on Instagram – 10 seconds watching something and if they if it's if it's good looking enough and cinematic enough where they say huh this looks, this looks kind of cool let me keep watching it and then from there they look into maybe doing more research on their own or reading more on it then you've succeeded as a you know as to what you're trying to do so the, the try to grab their attention because everyone you know they're, they're like like kittens right now just distracted by every little laser pointer out there and it it's it's insane like how attention spans are zero right now so like the stuff you put out there has to has to be cool. It has to look good, even if it's a, a conservation message or a message that's quote unquote a little more boring than it is like says like skydiving or something. But it still has to look good for people to even want to look at it. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Speaking of being all over the place with your attention span, I totally just like mixed up my species. So it's the blue crab that's imported from Louisiana, and not the oyster. I was like, after I said that, I was like, what am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things i noticed as a kid i'd go out there and you could, you, there would be a ton of crabs out in the bay now i went out there with my buddy chris uh last year i think it was last september usually when the crabs are at their biggest and the most the most are out there we were out there for probably two and a half hours we didn't see one crab not even one and i don't know if it was like a bad day to go out or the, whatever it was but it was just i've never in my experience had a day where i didn't see one and i hadn't crab for a few years before this and i went out there we didn't find one crab and that honestly kind of scared me it's like holy shit this this is something's going on here obviously yeah and i mean so much of that is in relation to like extreme weather events and what the breeding population is doing that year so yeah i'm i don't know a whole lot about that area in terms of the crab population but it would definitely be interesting to look at the trends to see um you know hopefully they're trending upward but you never know. Yeah, if, if, if I were a betting man, I, I would say they're trending downward just from like what I've seen. I just don't see that many anymore. Even hanging on the side of the dock, you know, I'd walk in the backyard as a kid, you know, I, I would just I'd spend the whole day just kind of using a net and just scooping them up, putting them in a bucket, and then throwing them back in as a little kid. Now you look down the down to the side of the bulkhead on the dock, and there's just nothing. There's not one crab. Yeah, what an eerie feeling. Yeah, it's like an it's an empty bay at this point. That's sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this, do you have a favorite project that you've ever worked on? Like all the commercial projects, honestly, they 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 weren't they were and they're fine, but they never really like kind of instilled much in me. I got to say that the video I did I did last year with the uh, Hemstock cleanup, I really enjoyed doing it, and I enjoyed spreading that message. So I'd have to say that's probably the favorite project I've done. You know, it wasn't a paid project or anything. I you know I did it myself, but that to me was was my favorite. I really felt like it was most impactful, and that's. And I liked feeling that out of it, that people genuinely enjoyed watching it. They, they enjoyed sharing it. And, and it, it started up conversation. There were, I saw it in groups I posted and there were entire com- people, message boards, people talking about it, just, you know, all different from across the island, across like even the state and out, out of the state too, people who have moved out and saw the video. So th- that was really cool to see the impact that had. And that kind of, that kind of gave me the spark to say, okay, I can do now this, this water documentary and kind of continue going with that. And people really do take to something that looks good and spreads a good message. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I can really hear the passion in your voice when you're talking about that project. And I, I think it's so amazing because you sparked a really important conversation that needed to be had through this platform of filmmaking. Um, and that has to feel really rewarding to see the level of engagement that you we're able to foster through putting this video out there and taking the time to 
to show this problem um, and try to, you know, start that conversation about behavior change and, and being better about what we do with our waste when we go to the beach. I was honestly pleasantly surprised at how how it took off. I really didn't didn't think, you know, it would kind of get that big. But 100,000 views, I never expected that for, you know, a simple little thing we shot in, in a couple hours. I really didn't expect that. But that just showed people do care. They just need to be kind of, it needs to be kind of put in front of their face, which is, you know, unfortunate, but it's the reality. We have an extra special episode lined up for you today. One, because it's my 20th episode and I love a good milestone and a good reason to celebrate. Milestones are also great for taking time to reflect on progress and remember things, um, all of the things that we have to be grateful for, like the incredible people that I have the privilege of speaking with on this show, and set our sights on what's next, which will hopefully be 20 plus more episodes because this is an opportunity that I am having a lot of fun with and really cherish. And second, in light of said milestone, I have invited on someone who has been very influential and inspiring to my life, um, especially relating to my career in conservation. She is a dear friend of mine, a total badass, and my counterpart in running the Healthy Oceans Coalition. So without further ado, it is a pleasure to welcome to the show, Sarah Winterwheelan. Hello. Hi. So this last one, okay. technically it's a two-part question. Okay. So it's the big four, but the big three is a better ring to it, so I'm not going to change it. Um, <laughs> what is the best advice that you've ever been given? Wow. Hmm. Um, I think the best advice I have ever been given is by my mother, um, who is an everyday inspiration to me, um, that I can, I can, I can do it. I am strong enough. I am smart enough. I am badass enough to do whatever I want when I set my mind to it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when the 18 year old me was, excited about going to college several states away but also scared of leaving my family my mother was like you can do it right this is what you want you go out and do it um and I think for a young girl in the society in society where we are not always told that we can do it or valued for what we can do to have that role model um, telling me since I was little that I can do anything I want, which may not be true because I can't fly, right? Like there are clear <laughs> limitations to yeah. that. But as you know, a parent, it's all you don't in the give mindset. Your, you don't give your kids that caveat. Developing the confidence and the belief yeah. in themselves. Yes, exactly. Yes, right. Yes. So. I think that's incredibly important because that stuck with me and that has helped me make some of the big scary decisions that I've made in my life because I had, um, you know, a strong woman in my life you constantly telling me that I could do it. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side of that, 
because we have so many incredible listeners that are clearly interested in learning and you know I get I'm positioned in a place where I get to bring on all of these amazing people with Mm -hmm. really great perspectives um what parting advice do you have for the listeners probably the same that my mother gave me Mm -hmm. you can do it you can do it I feel like that um what is it, Rob Schneider's character in, uh, I don't remember what Adam Sandler movie that is, but you can do it. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, this sounds so like, oh, is that really the advice this lady is going to leave us with? Like, how lame is that? It's not lame. It's important. Yeah. It's like, sometimes yeah. the most beautiful things are the most simple things. Yeah. And at the very base, believe in yourself. Yeah. Because... Even if no one else does, you can do it. Mm. It might not be easy. It's probably going to yeah. take a lot of work, whatever it is. Yeah. But if you want it, you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. And seek out the people who will support you in that endeavor. Yeah, and cut find, the fat. <laughs> that's right. Find mentors. Mm-hmm. Find people who are in the community you want to be in and make it happen. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is super oversimplifying yeah. how hard it is to do that. But, like, baby steps, right? Absolutely. Just like you learn to walk. Progress Not by day. running. You, right, little steps toward toward your goal. Yeah. And just believe that you can do it and find the things that will support you yes. in doing Yes, supportive communities and tools and opportunities if they're mm-hmm. available to you. And then... It's amazing what will happen if you remove yourself from toxic situations or people Mm -hmm. that are bringing you down or holding you back or telling you that you can't do it. Um, Just even having the the people around you saying something as simple as you can and supporting you in your endeavors, Mm -hmm. it makes a world of difference. It really does. I mean, I don't know that I would have gotten through law school if I hadn't had that mentor and that externship when I was in Oregon, I was lucky enough to work for Janice Searles, who if you were in the ocean community, you probably know who she is. She is like the badass lady. Um, And she believed in me and she helped me cultivate that and, you know, helped me recognize that I could do these things, even though they felt foreign and hard and didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, if you find those people and you have those mentors, um, it makes a real difference because, you know, it's a lot harder to do it on your own. If you build a community around you with people who are going to support you on your worst day and cheer you on, and then you can do the same for them, making those major milestones and trying to get to, you know, wherever you're trying to get to becomes easier because you are supported by a tribe of people Mm -hmm. who want to see you succeed Mm -hmm. and you want to see them succeed. My guest is someone that inspires me each and every day. She is the embodiment of what it means to lead by example and has demonstrated dedication to passing along a stewardship ethic and curiosity about the natural world to generations of students. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce Sherry Gilmore the executive director and owner of the Acadia Institute of Oceanography. Sherry, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Jenna. It's good to talk to you. And thank you so much for that warm welcome. That was wonderful. (laughs) What do you think are the most pressing environmental challenges that we're faced with? Um, You could either say a couple or if you have like one big one on the top of your head, that, that counts too. 
Well, I think probably a little bit of what we spoke about before, which is getting people to accept that there are changes occurring in our environment and they're occurring too rapidly. And I, I don't know, you know, I have family members who even say to me just recently, one of them said, well, if that's really mm-hmm. happening, and I thought, that's a big issue yeah. to me. Like, and until they accept it, nobody will do anything yes. about it because they don't think it's a problem. Um, so for me, that's one of the big pressing yeah, issues. The mindset. Is that yes. The mindset, right, that people don't accept yeah. it and therefore they don't have to be inconvenienced by it or um, that. And then, um, you know, I think, oh gosh, there's a, it's again, it gets overwhelming. There are a lot of things <laughs> to think about. I think we're an overpopulated yes. world. I think that part of why we're struggling with stuff is because we're trying to meet the demands of so many people. Um, I'd also like to see us working together more as countries to, to find answers to things because, um, you know, people will say, when I say, well, let's cut our plastic use, let's not throw it in garbage. Let's, you know, cigarette companies, maybe, you know, people are throwing cigarettes outside and they end up in the ocean and there's plastic in those. And, um, you know, people will say, well, you know, we're not the worst yeah. ones. That's what I've heard. <laughs> It's like, well, we're not the best either. And it's really easy to point fingers. So, (laughs) but you know what? We have other, we have issues. You're right. You know what? We're not the worst. And I think a lot of people are starting to come around to, to it, but they don't, um, they, they kind of just say, well, well, that's, we're already doing what we have to do. Other countries. Yes. Other countries. And it's like, what a mindset too. You know, it's like, okay, so maybe you're not the worst, but does that mean that you can't be trying to always be better <laughs> right exactly and the, the um you know i've i spent a lot of time in jamaica with kids and and people would throw their garbage right at the shoreline they just threw it out the outside the front of their house and it would go into the ocean and I'm going to belize we find garbage just on the shore and they tell me it's coming from honduras and places like that the way the current's carrying it um but look at, you know, these are people who don't know where their next meal is mm-hmm. coming from. So where their garbage goes is not their number one priority. And and we, you know, need to help them with that somehow or find ways to, you know, say that, we you know, this is a concern. But to them, that's not their number one concern. That's not their number yeah, one priority. And so much of it is and just they, systemic. It's it's everything is so right, interconnected. Right. And I think that also right. gets back to everybody choosing that one thing or two things that they can do to help fix their communities Mm -hmm. or improve their community's health. Or to hear, you know, one more time, Oh, uh, you know what? We've always had cold snaps (laughs) or climate's always changing. Yes, it is, but not Mm -hmm. this rapidly. That's the problem. So for me, there are lots of issues. There are, there's too much CO2 in the water. There's, we're burning too many fossil fuels. We've got to, you know, reinforce people using uh, more renewable forms of energy um, and, and make, we've got to get people to make some change in their life to do something that will make a change. But it, for me, it's, a, it's like, but they have to believe that it's yeah. an issue and it's for some reason not touching them or they're, they're not feeling it. And when they start to feel it, then maybe 
it'll become an issue. Charging for the bags in a store, okay, they Mm -hmm. feel that. And that's good because then they will make a change and they'll start bringing their own bags. And it's, it's that kind of thing where it's, I don't, those are probably the ways we're going to have to get people to actually feel that these issues impact them. Because I also like to infuse some optimism and positivity into my climate talks because they can, you know, be a little bit overwhelming. What are you hopeful for moving forward? Well, I'm really hopeful that all these kids I've been teaching for 35 <laughs> years, I don't know, some, a lot of kids, <laughs> you know, 7,000 kids or something, um, plus all the environmental ed kids, that they will continue to do something, you know, um, that they will make a change and they will be forward thinking as opposed to, um, so I'm pretty hopeful about it. I mean, as opposed to a lot of people, you know, who are kind of like just ignoring it or acting like there's nothing there, they'll think, no, we need to do something about it. Maybe we need to do something before it gets worse. And so, um, I'm, I'm very hopeful that we'll start to find ways to control our, um, our, you know, burning of fossil fuels and, and throwing, you know, this, the ocean's, is full. The sink is full. <laughs> and so, you know, finding ways to, to dissipate that or, you know, when all that plankton, phytoplankton dies, it also releases CO2. And, you know, if it's over, if you've got all those dead zones, cause there's too much fertilizer going, it's a, you know, big domino effect. Um, so I'm hopeful that we're, we're going to, I'm feeling positive that we're going to find ways We're <laughs> I've been through a lot of presidents <laughs> and, I'm not sure if we've had worse, but I will say that things do change. You know, the two shall pass is what (laughs) I like to say. And, you know, I I know that there'll be different people, no matter what party they're in, who might see it, see these issues and say, we need to be working together. That's, that's my hope is that we start to work together as opposed to if our country feels very divided now and, and feels like, you know, the whole, uh, so, uh, my friend in Washington said to me, if, if I didn't speak to people that don't agree with me, I, no one in Washington would talk. <laughs> well, yeah, all. it's also like, and, how do you learn anything? Like no one is perfect right, right. in their way of thinking ever. And I think it's so important right. for you to have discussions with people that believe very differently from you because you're both, all of you, we're all going to learn something um, and understand each other better because at the end of the day, and this might sound like very like hippie dippy, but it's like, we're all, we're <laughs> all human and, I, you know, we right. all sort of want those basic, like, primal things, like love and, you know, survival and all yeah. of that. And and it's, we just look at it differently. So if we can have those conversations, we're going to make progress versus just shutting down and pushing people away, because then we get nowhere. Right. And we want clean water. We all want, you know, healthy children. We all want <laughs> clean air to breathe, you know. And so, yeah, talk to yeah. each other. That's, you know, I feel like I'm working with the kids and and that's sort of a way to say you got to be proactive and you get out there and you talk to people and you listen to people and you, you know, you work with them because it's not black and white. I mean, you're not all you're not going to get everything you want, but 
but if you're not talking, you're not going to get yeah. anything. Nothing's going to change. Exactly. And so, um, and I, as I said to my son, he was doing a project on ocean pollution and saying something, you're going to destroy my earth. And I said, here's the thing. In the end, we're going to destroy ourselves. Yeah. The earth is going <laughs> to be know? here and it'll be fine. It's, it's a, it's a, it'll probably come right yeah. back as soon as, you know, we're not yeah. on it. But we're going to destroy ourselves yeah. and maybe not in this lifetime and maybe not in yours. And I hope not. But, you know, it's like mm, if we don't do something. That's that's what's bound to happen. But I'm I'm very hopeful that that's not going to happen. I'm hopeful that that our future generations, I'm really, I'm really betting on them. Yeah, they're very you know, inspiring. To, yeah, to step up and, you know, listen to the kids and everybody talking now and saying, yeah. uh-uh, I'm not going to tolerate that from you yeah. anymore. We're not going to tolerate that. This is my future. And I agree. It's their world that we're messing mm-hmm. up. And good, good for them for speaking up and saying enough, you know, do something about it. Hopefully that'll keep going. That energy will keep going. And I, so that makes me really hopeful. Yeah. And this last one is a a two-parter because, um, you know, this goes right hand in hand with how inspiring those, those younger generations are. Um, but I think I'm positioned really well to have people like yourself and my other guests on this show that are experts on their own respective issues and have incredible stories to tell. So um, I think it's really nice to take a minute to hear some advice from you um, and learn from you. I mean, we've been learning for this whole chat, but I'm curious to know what is the best advice that you've ever been given? Well, we talked about one, which is be kind. Mm-hmm. My mother always said, hate's an awfully strong word. And, you know, be kind to people. Um, the other was probably, though, don't don't give up. Like, you can do this. When I, when I first was offered to purchase the program and I was going to take, you know, five years, it had to be done. And, and, you know, it was a lot of work, a lot, a lot of work. I had a lot of naysayers. I had a lot of people kind of saying, oh, that's going to be hard. How are you going to do that? I don't know. And you know what? I knew I could do it. And having someone say, just don't give up. Just do it. You can do it. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, you know, don't give up. <laughs> it's kind of that same way with the earth and the what's going on. It's like, don't give up, though, guys. I mean, it it might seem like, you know, woe is us. The, the world is struggling. and But don't give up. You know, if we don't give up on it and just keep trying to find answers, it'll, they'll come eventually. We'll make mistakes, but they'll come. Yeah. I think that's probably, you know, as a woman in the early eighties, even, and a mom, you know, it was like, oh, when you're a business owner, you know, and uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's work and you want to have kids too you know it's like yeah I want it all and uh, (laughs) it's not always easy or even possible but you know I pulled it off with my husband the help of my husband that helped a lot but yes a a supportive it takes support yes it does is is really important (laughs) Um, so I think that's probably it is don't give up yeah. And I mean, so my, my flip side of that was going to be what advice you have for listeners, but I feel like they kind of go hand in hand with the, what you're just talking about. But if you have any advice for listeners too, you, you're, well, again, share I would that. Say, you know, probably listen. That's my best advice. Listen to other people. Like don't, 
you know, there's a there. And again, I think it's a social media thing. Uh, sometimes I hate social media. Um, <laughs> there's the tendency Me too. To, yeah, to react. I mean, it can be a great thing, but it can also be just a horrible thing. And people react instead of listening. Like, and understanding. It's so yeah. quick. Everything moves so quick that we, right. we, it's like all surface level, no depth. Right. Try to understand what what's going on. Just close your mouth and just listen for a while. And then think about what you're going to say. <laughs> you know, all, and we're all guilty of this. We listen. And while someone's talking, we're thinking about what we're going to say. Right. We all do it. But listen. And it's okay for there to be some silence and think about a reaction or think about what you think and, you know, put yourself in the other person's shoes. The other thing I would say is, like we talked about already, is do something. Pick one thing and do it. And you'd be amazed. I mean, I think I think that's if everybody just picked one thing and did it, it would make a huge difference. So that's our challenge to you again, listeners. If you take one thing from this episode, it's to choose your one thing. What are you going to do today to be either good to yourself, your community, or the planet? And Sherry, I really appreciate you spending time with me today. I, I just so thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I'm really grateful for all of the work that you're doing and look forward to continuing to collaborate with you through the Healthy Oceans Coalition. Oh, thank you, Jenna. It was a lot of fun to talk to you. Got to do this again sometime. <laughs> yes. Yes. We should have you on as a recurring guest. This is an awesome, <laughs> this is an awesome conversation. Well, you and, know, <laughs> if, if the audience can take it. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I'd also like to thank the listeners. And if you like this show and want to hear more, please subscribe to the American Shoreline Podcast Network, wherever you listen to podcasts, rates and reviews are always appreciated. And you can find us on our favorite, as we were just talking about, social media um, <laughs> on Facebook. We are the American Shoreline Podcast Network. And on Twitter, we are at Coastal News 365. You can also find me personally on Twitter. I am at Yenna Benna, that's Y-E-N-N-A-B-E-N-N-A. And on Instagram, it's the same thing, but Yenna has three N's in it. Um, so please find us online and let's chat about our beautiful coastlines.